want apple juice. Lucas wants apple juice. I know, I heard him can say I that. Can I have apple juice? Yeah, you can have apple juice. Can I have soda? Yes, you can have soda. Can I press that button? No, you can't press that button. Why? Because that's going to play the theme song. I'm not ready to start Click. the pot. What is up, guys? James Gutman here on iPod. I'm Dad. It is Friday. It is May the 28th. It is 2021. I'm glad to be back here. Thank you for finding me wherever you found me, uh, whether you found me on HiPodOmDad.com or if you found me over on uh, Apple Podcasts or Amazon, wherever it happens to be. We are all over the place at this podcast. So uh, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the blog, supporting you know my books, all that stuff. It really means a lot to me. Uh, today is actually the one-year anniversary of when Healthline named High Blog I'm Dad one of the top autism blogs of 2020. 2020 was a, a bit of a roller coaster year for me, so that meant a lot. So I was excited about that. I actually posted it as one of those Facebook memories, which I never do. I I don't really get those memories. I guess there's a place to click on to see them, but I don't know. I, I don't click on it. So this one was actually shown to me, and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a year ago. It's pretty crazy. So it's exciting. Posted that. Very happy and a good kind of a good mood today, you know. One of those podcasts where I started thinking about what I was going to talk about with you guys here today. And every once in a while, I I do these podcasts and you know I go into it without any idea of what I'm going to talk about, just kind of riff, as they say. And then there's some where I have an idea of what I'm going to say, and I'm like, buckle up. So uh, this is definitely a buckle up type of podcast. One where you know I can't. I can't be a hypocrite. I can't be one of those people who tells you, I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. And I hold back this or I hold back that. There are definitely things in my life that relate to your life. Um, if you're listening to this, whether you are a special needs parent, whether you're just a parent in general, uh, or whether you are some of those parents who send me messages, and I get these messages um, about your lack of a support system. I get these a lot. I get um, somebody who'll come over and say, my child is about to be diagnosed or my child has been diagnosed, but we have no support system. We have no family. We have nobody to really help us out. And I got to tell you, I read these messages and it breaks my heart because I'm one of you. I do not have a real support system for me, my son, um, at least on my side of things. It doesn't exist. I don't know if you guys notice, you read my blog and you know, there's sometimes there's things that are said by not being said. And I don't know if you've read a lot of these things that have been going on since 2017, but not a lot of my stories involve grandparents, aunts, uncles, kind of non-existent a little bit. And it's not because I'm purposely leaving them out. It's because there's not a lot of stories that have them. And all these people are not dead. <laughs> Some of them are very much alive, living their lives and doing their thing. And they are not, in many cases, a part of our lives. My family, no, I don't. I don't interact with my family. I've been more honest with that this past year, kind of telling you guys a little bit more, a little bit more. I've never really gotten into the full story. Maybe one day I will. Right now, it doesn't feel right. It feels almost like I don't want to tell stories that are meant to just throw shade, as the kids say. You know, I have, I have nothing to really offer in terms of personally how things happen or why they happen. All you need to know is that they happen. So I relate to you. I get it. I understand what it's like 
to, I don't know, feel alone at the holidays. I dealt with this, man. I, I got real Christmas issues, or at least I did for a while. I don't know if you guys remember. I wrote a blog last year called The Almost Worst Christmas with My Favorite Person. It was me and Olivia and Lucas, and we kind of were left high and dry on Christmas all alone, and I freaked out. And here is the most annoying part of it all, and I've never talked about this, but this really, ugh, this was tough. I was ready to talk about it. I was ready to share it. I put it out there, but I didn't want to give too much background information on my life. I didn't want to tell people that I was estranged from my family. I didn't want to tell people that growing up, my grandfather slipped into a coma on Christmas Eve. Yeah, ruined life. He died four days later. It's a big blow to Christmas. So every year, Christmas kind of sucked. Bad. And I made it a goal not to give my kids a bad Christmas. But unfortunately, that's not always your choice, depending on who's in your life. As I said before, we had people who inexplicably stopped having us at Christmas. We had people who inexplicably were gone from our lives. So these things happen. Sometimes you don't have a choice. You're like, oh, let's do something. And I created you know, traditions and things to do. So I wrote about this thing on the blog and I put it out there. And like a fool, I kind of like promoted it to you know, people who are, who are battling, kind of like being depressed and things like that. And I started getting all these comments from people who would read this article superficially, didn't know the blog, didn't know me. And they were like, sounds like dad has autism. I'm like, what the hell? You know, oh, I think the dad's autistic. And they kept saying that they thought I had autism because I wanted my kids. I was so obsessed about giving them a good Christmas. And it's like, no, that's not, you're missing the point. I get where you could see it from, but that's not what it was. It was, you know, my own past issues and all these things that I wanted to have happen. So I wanted to give my kids a good Christmas, but again, out of my hands out of my hands, didn't have family to spend it with, didn't have people who really even cared that it was missed when things kind of fell apart, just is what it is. So I didn't have family. I, didn't, I don't have people to talk to. And a lot of it stems from my heart surgery. A lot of it stems from growing up and different things where in hindsight, I look back on it and I'm like, hmm, I didn't do anything because I didn't do anything. Um, that's just my opinion. I'm sure in other people's opinions, I did all this stuff and they're probably sharing it with people. And that's a big part of it too that I've had to accept in terms of estranged relationships because, you know, I had another family for about 20 years, you know, a secondary family, but a funny thing happened on the way to the divorce lawyer, just a lot of disappearing people. But in all honesty, without even naming names, people really, really around all that much anyway during those 20 years that may have come from different situations. And it, it does drive you a little crazy because people do disappear from your life. And then you start wondering, like, are people talking about me? Are people spreading false stories about me? Because as the kids say, I ain't done nothing to anybody. So there's really no story that could work. And then you know you obsess about it. And I've written about this. People are like, you seem kind of down. And I really was down because you freak out. You're like, what do people think about me? You want to like grab all these people and be like, look, you don't know the story. This didn't happen. I don't know what you were told, but look, this is my side of the story. I'm, I'm totally, I'm good. I don't know why you're like, but I learned something and I learned it from the first time I went through this with a, the mystery of the disappearing family, as Sherlock Holmes would say, people don't care. People don't care about right. People don't care about wrong. It's rare that you hear Bill Cosby quoted anymore in anything other than a negative light but bill cosby had a stand-up special called bill cosby himself and he talked about he's like and the child comes and the child the baby is being bad and the baby steals a toy from the older child and you go and you hit the older child because a parent is interested in quiet not justice that was like the the bill cosby joke and it was true because most people are not interested in justice most people are interested in being left 
the hell alone. So if you have a conflict with somebody who's maybe the loudest one or somebody who people have to kind of like handhold through life and things like that, they don't care about whether or not you're right or they're right. It's just, they're just, they pick their people and that's their people. And then you're just kind of pushed away. So I've, I've dealt with that and I've been pushed away by a lot of people and that's my support system and they're not there. And it's hard. It's hard to not have the support system, especially when you have a child like, like my son, who is nonverbal. He is, you know, some people would say severe autism. I say autism, and sometimes people don't know what I'm talking about. And I've tried to write blogs about it, about what autism means to me, because it gets very frustrating. You know, you read an article, I'll read an article about autism, and I'll read this thing, and I think we're on the same page, and then we get to the middle of it. And then you read something about like having to come out to their friends as autistic or, you know, you know, Elon Musk has autism. Elon Musk is not my kid. You know, Elon Musk is a, is a billionaire who's going to the moon. You know, my son is, he doesn't speak. He claps and screams and people sometimes look over at him in, in public. It's a very different form of autism. So when you have a child like that, you want to have people to support you. You want to have people around and everyone will tell you, and here's where it gets the most painful. People will tell you, and anything you read, and especially when you have a child who's diagnosed, and these are the people who write to me, your child gets diagnosed with autism, and the first thing they say to you is, make sure you have a good support system. Oh, thanks. That's great. What do you do if you don't? Do you go on Craigslist? Do you Google support system? You know, I'm looking for a grandmotherly type, one who is preferably not crazy. No, you're screwed. You can't. You don't just find a support system. You either have one or you don't. What sucks the most is that sometimes you don't even know you don't have one until you need it. <laughs> you don't even think about it. You're like, I have a support system. And then you need people. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got none of you. None of you are, are going to be supportive. And it's true. And it happens. And it's hard to deal with. And it can be painful, I think, for a lot of parents to come to that realization that you have to kind of toe the road alone. It could be hard. It could be scary. It could be frustrating. It can be lonely. It's all those things. And we deal with it. And I wish to God I could sit here and I can give you guys some real tangible advice. I can give you some things that I've, I've picked up and things that I've, I've learned through the years, but um, I, don't, I don't really have a nice little bow to wrap this all up in because it just is what it is. There's a reason why they tell you that support systems are important because they are. So if you don't have one and you can't really cultivate one, you know, maybe friends, I have good friends and I have people who have children similar to Lucas, people who don't, people who care about me in my life. And it's great to have these people around, but you know, it, it doesn't measure up to what people expect you to have when they talk about having a support system. They're talking about like, do you have somebody that can, can watch him so you can go out? Nope. Do you have somebody who, you know, you could spend your holidays with? Do you have somebody... Somebody give you a birthday present? No, I don't have any of that. I'm rebuilding, starting from the ground up. Sometimes it's hard, you know? So I get it. When you write to me about that, I totally get it. And I get it because, like I said before, it's always the first thing that a lot of these blogs and things tell you about to do. You need a support system. And you can't find one just on the street. It doesn't work like that. You have to have one. You have to come into the situation with one. It has to be something that exists before. You know, and you see the differences with people who have it, you know. And what's funny is to have none at all, right? You see people who have a few people in their lives and they'll complain to you. I wish I had a better support system. It's like, dude, you got four people, <laughs> like zero people, you know. So it's, uh, 
It could be a real shot in the arm, so to speak. I will tell you some positives that come, even if you don't have a support system, and things that I've picked up and things that I've, I've learned to do, at least as it relates to my son and what's important for him in his life. One of the good things about having a child with special needs who you have in school and you have surrounded by certain professionals is that the lack of really a personal connection. And when I say personal connection, I don't mean, I mean, he's got therapists and he's got, we got parent trainer and uh, teachers and aides and things like that. And they all love him. And there's a personal connection. I see them and we smile and we talk about him. But to have people who are professionally there to help you, those people are more apt to give you straight up observations and advice, you know? So his teachers and his aides and, and his therapists have been amazing. They know what he needs. They don't sugarcoat it. They'll tell you he doesn't do this or he does that, you know? I don't think he's capable of this. I think he's capable of that. And sometimes I think about that. And I'm glad that I have those people definitely in my life because it's nice to have like, you know, a relative who's like, he's so cute. You know, that's great. It feels good. Yeah, he is cute. But sometimes it's better to have a teacher who's going to be like, listen, he's, he's regressing in this area or he needs help in this area. And he's got that. And that feels good. The other thing with not having personal connections with him, we just had his CSE meeting you know, the, the Committee for Special Education, going over his IEP and the things that he needs for the upcoming school year. And their goal as a school that funds so much is to, I don't say not fund anymore, but, you know, there's, there's obviously a certain amount of resources you could ask for. And my son gets a lot of resources. They're, they've been awesome. But they steered me towards uh, uh, OPWDD, the Office for People with Developmental Disabilities. And it's this program here in New York, I don't know, dude. I'm not an expert on things, so I could be throwing this out there. Maybe you have one similar, maybe you don't. But here in New York, what it is, it's a place that works with you depending on, I guess, the severity of your child's autism and whatnot, where they reimburse you for certain things. So like Lucas would be able to go to yoga class, go to swimming, get respite, have certain things that are paid for in his life that are needed. You know, Because as of now, all the things that he needs, and he does need a lot of stuff, are all out of pocket. You know, it's things you buy on Amazon and they'll charge you up to wazoo for these things. So it's, it's a real financial reimbursement. It's a real resource, you know, haven. Problem with OPWDD, at least for me, was that it's purposely, and a lot of them will say this too, it is purposely made to be difficult to navigate. They had me go to a meeting. I wrote about this meeting two years ago. I went to this three-hour meeting. I sat through it only to find out afterwards that I had gone out of order I hadn't filled out an application before I went to this, as they call it, front door meeting and sat through it, and it was kind of pointless. So the school, because they want this program, which is you know, a way of getting the finances taken out of the school system, they want parents to get a hold of this. They put me in touch with a coordinator who took all of our information and sent it over, and now she's going to be the one to help us through it and help me get it. And that's cool, because that to me, like support systems are great. But the most important thing is to find people who know the system and have your child's best interest at heart. And that's what these people have. They're caring. They're kind. Just don't fight with them. You know, I don't fight with these people. I don't send pointed messages and I don't, I don't gossip about them or accuse them of things. I just work with them. Once in a while, I've had to have a bit of a pointed like, hey, wait a minute, you know. But for the most part, if you go into these situations not assuming that they're against you, but assuming that they're there to help your child, you're going to be okay. You're going to have a good, you know, 
result from the things that you do with them. And that's what I'm doing. I'm having these good results. So uh, as of now, I got the packet finally in for OPWDD. We can maybe get my son some special services and things that he deserves. In many ways, I don't know. I'll take that over, you know, some nonsense. You know, sp- I'll say nonsense support systems. I definitely don't want to, I don't want to push it aside. It is important, you know, and it sucks to be frank, not having that every once in a while. You want to know that you have a holiday all planned out. You want to know there's people who, who want you around as a family. And when you don't have that, it's hard. And it's hard for a parent of anybody, whether it's a child with special needs or neurotypical, to not have that sense of camaraderie or sense of support there for you. But you move forward. And I think that's why so many of my blogs are written about the love that I have for my son, because that's what carries me through it. The fact that I, I love Lucas and the fact that I want to do everything right for him. It's important to me. And I do that. I do it pretty much on my own. When he's with me, it's me and him, man. I don't, I don't have too many people to rely on. I don't have anybody really to rely on. I do it myself. And I do it for him. And that, at the end of the day, it's kind of all you need. And it sounds like such pie in the sky, like hokey dokey artichokey kind of nonsense, but it's not. It's real. Anything you have, if you have a child, whether it's a child like my son or a child like my daughter, who's, you know, she speaks all the time. She's neurotypical. She's 13 years old. Um, whatever child that you have, if you really genuinely want to do what's best for your kid, you find a way to do it. Maybe it's not easy. Maybe it's, it's rough, but the reward comes from seeing them succeed and knowing that you did that, knowing that you made that happen. And even now, man, with Lucas, like there's a lot of things I work on with him here. Life skills that are incredibly difficult and we do it together. And I watch him get better every single day and I'm so proud of him for it. And I don't know, he's proud somewhat. He's not, he's not really... A lot of his emotional output is not typical, so it's not a lot of like, look what I did. But I know some days, you know. You see it in his face, you see it in his actions. He knows that he's trying, and he wants to try, and he wants to do his best. So I help him do that, and then I'm proud of myself. And my reward at the end of the day isn't some, you know, some big family function or anything like that. My reward at the end of the day is him. And I, I couldn't be more rewarded than I am. So look, like I said before, I wish I had for you guys some sort of, you know, nice little way to, to sum it all up, you know, support is this and support is a glass chain or whatever it is, like some sort of symbolic explanation, but there is none. There is none. Some people have support systems and some don't. And the ones who don't, it, it sucks and it's hard. And if you're one of those people who don't have support, you have my sympathy because I'm one of you and I get it, but everything's going to be okay. I know it deep down. You know it too. That's it, man. Let's talk about the blog. Shall we? Let's talk a little bit about this week. Wrote two blogs this week, right? Um, We can actually go out of order because on, on Wednesday, which is the most recent one, I always hear we see the clicking. I wrote about using words being overrated. And this was, again, you know, I talk about the love I have for my son. I talk about the, you know, reactions that we have. And this was about having a nonverbal child. And it was about how so much of what I do with Lucas 
is nonverbal. You know, we do fun things that involve almost like hand motions. And I put a video in there, which is rare. I don't, I rarely put videos. I think it's the first video I've ever put in a blog. Um, I've put videos on Instagram. Hi, James Gutman. That's my, that's my social media tag. You find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Hi, James Gutman. H-I, not the other one. Come on, James Gutman. And I had put the video up there and it was this thing that Lucas and I had started doing where sometimes I'll do an exaggerated hand motion to him that goes along with a, with a voice or a, a silly thing, you know. And what I'll do is I will do it with the intention of getting his attention, so to speak. So, for example, one of the first ones I ever did when he was little, I would scream his name out in like a high-pitched voice to get him to take pictures. Because he would look over, he would smile. And I'd be like, Lucas, you know, I mean, everybody does stuff like that. Lucas, kind of a high, high-pitched silly thing, especially as a baby, we did that. And this had gone on for a while. And then one of the first times I noticed that was really cute, he was going to get something. I forgot what it was, but he was driving me crazy. So I put my hand up in like a halting motion. And I went, Lucas, I'm like, wait, like that. And it was based on the fact that I used to take his, his shoes off. We still do it to this day. This is kind of a stupid thing. It's hopefully you find it endearing and not like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? When I would take his shoes off in the morning, and we still do it now, when I take his shoes off at the end of the day, I pull on them on his feet as if they're stuck. And I go, like that. And he thinks it's so funny. And I yank on it. I make it seem like they're stuck. I go, and then when I finally pull them off, I I throw them over my shoulder. He thinks it's great. So the first time he wanted to run away, I put my hand up and I went, wait, in the same kind of voice that I did the, the shoe thing. He thought it was hilarious. It was like our thing. So it'd always be like, wait. And I was like, this is the best, man. This kid, my material is awesome. To give you an idea of how hard it is as a dad to be able to get your material over, check this out. And this bothered me. It was Olivia's birthday, right? And she was sitting at the table with her friends. And one of the kids goes, you know, my sister is my mom's favorite. And then somebody else is like, yeah, well, I'm my mom's favorite. And one of the parents who was over goes, you know, parents don't have favorites. That's silly. And they're all sitting at the table. And I'm like, I have favorites. And they look at me. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I definitely have favorite kids. And they're all looking at me. And I go, oh, it's not my kid. I'm like, I don't, I don't like my own kids. It's somebody else's kids. And I thought that was so funny. It was quick. It was witty. And I swear to God, they all stared at me like, what? And Olivia goes, okay. Like that, which I freaking, I want to like, oh, strangle her when she does that. And I went, that was, that was funny, dude. That was good material. And she was like, no, that's not. And I'm like, okay. So that's the kind of, I waste material on these people. Lucas, don't waste material. And Lucas doesn't even understand most of the words I say. So it's all nonverbal back and forth. But the most recent one that we did, again, I think I was trying to get his shoes on. And he was fighting me. He always wants to get like his iPad or his toys as I'm doing things that require him to be a part of it. And I hate that because my biggest thing with him now, he's 10 years old. I want him to know that even though there's certain things that he has to do in life that he can't do himself that I have to do for him, he has to be present as I do it, you know? So I'm not going to you know, tie his shoes or put his shoes on while he's playing toys. We don't do that, you know? If you can't do it yourself, you got to be bored for the minute while I do it. And you got to watch me do it and you got to be a part of that. So we don't do that. It's a lot of stuff like that, whether it's, you know, life skills in the bathroom or whether it's, you know, washing his hands, he's got to be present. He's got to be there for getting dressed. You got to be there, bud. you have, you can't play while I get you dressed. We're not doing that. So he was trying to get like a toy. I'm putting his shoes on. So I put my hand up and I did the back and forth, which is like the no signal that we do. No, no, no. And I went, Hey, I'm like, stop like that. And then I tickled his belly. And I swear to God, he thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever done. 
he loved it so much that he will randomly, as I'm sitting there next to him, he'll just take my hand and he'll start waving it back and forth, wanting me to do it. And that was one of the videos that I put on on the blog. And what's funny about it is that that video of him doing that with my hand, that is one of like a million times he does. He does it all the time. And I love it. And that's kind of our nonverbal interaction. And it's to, again, give you guys who maybe have a child who's being diagnosed now at this point or a child who hasn't spoken yet and you're kind of worried about it, you could still have so much of the kind of relationship that you want to have with your child, even if they don't speak words. And that's why it's called words are overrated because words are overrated. I find that because of Lucas, I'm able to impart my emotions to everybody, even on the road, man. I have people in front of me, you know, somebody's going really slow in front of you. And you want the people behind you to know it's not you, it's the guy in front. So you put your hands up, you kind of you know, wave your hand. I, I do this whole thing where I feel like I can have conversations with people now because of Lucas without saying a word. He's taught me how to do that. And it's, it definitely has carried over. And as somebody who speaks all the time, you know, I did debate, I want to do more public speaking, I do these podcasts, I write, I'm a big word guy. And it took a lot to learn how not to be. You know, I came from a background of, of words, big time still to this day. So to have a child who is nonverbal was a major blow. And in the end, not only was it doable, but it taught me a whole form of communication that I never even thought about. So it's a big deal. Don't, don't beat yourself up if you have a, a kid who's, who's maybe you know language delayed or you're worried might not speak. It's going to be okay. It's okay for me. It'll be okay for you. Uh, can't promise it, but you'll find a way. We always do. The one on Monday was one that I was kind of proud of, and I really am proud of it. And it was about being damaged in the best ways. And it's called, um, I'm damaged in some of the best ways. And I think that we talk often about damage. You know, I'm a damaged person. You know, I'm broken. That was always a big thing. And I remember people don't like to hear that they're broken. I know this girl once, and I said to her, I said, I said, we're cool. You know, I think me and you were kind of similar. I'm like, we're both kind of broken. And she's like, I'm broken? And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean you. I totally meant her. Uh, so sometimes that happens. You say it and people get offended by it. But I think that the problem is that I see broken in a different way. I've had people misunderstand my background, uh, people who know me. I remember when Olivia was first born and I was doing all this great parenting stuff. And everybody was always shocked that I was a dad who did anything for my kid, which kind of sucks. And somebody had turned to me and they go, that's because you were raised right. And I'm like, I absolutely was not raised right. I'm like, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm I'm kind of doing the opposite of a lot of things that I learned. I think that's the thing. I think if you, you could be damaged, you could be broken from your childhood and from your past and find ways to do the opposite as an adult. And for me, whether it's parenting or, or other types of interactions, I've tried to do things different than maybe I, I witnessed, maybe I learned from, from growing ups as a kid. And that's important. I think that you can be in many ways, um, the survivor, as they say, of kind of a rough patch, whether it's, and I'm not just talking about like abusive childhoods or anything like that. I'm talking about like the whole point of the story. What I did was I opened up with a story about how people's pets love me and they really do, man. If you didn't need another reason to think that I am like the bee's knees, like pets love me. And I know they're going to love me beforehand too, which is really weird. I was never a pet guy. I had a dog growing up. Eh, love my dog. My dog grew 14 years old. My dog passed away. Great. Love my dog. My dog slept on my bed, but I really wasn't a dog guy. Uh, I got cats, 2005. Loved my cats. I really did. And as time went on, I learned to deal with my cats, learned to interact with my cats, learned to really, I always say they were my first babies, these two cats. Um, Buddy died last year and it was awful. I found him. I remember it still to this day. It was right at the beginning of coronavirus. He was in my room because he slept. He slept with me. Um, 
in my uh, my solo bedroom. And he was uh, he was asleep at, on the floor, I thought. And I remember, I was like, buddy, buddy. I said, oh, and I took a blanket and I kind of threw it over him. And I'm like, if he kind of scrambles, then he didn't move. Oh, shit. That was awful. That was hard. And I love Tipsy. That was my other cat. That's the first cat that I had. I mean, these cats are, Tipsy now is 16 years old. This cat's been around forever. This cat slept on my bed. This cat slept in my arms. I've had her since she was a kitten. Not only did Buddy pass away in April of last year, but I had to leave Tipsy when I moved out of my house for this divorce. And Olivia, when she's over at the other house, will FaceTime me with the cat. And I get all excited. I'm like, Tipsy. On the rare times that I went there last week for Olivia's birthday, I went to my old house and I made a huge deal of having to see that cat. I saw Tipsy again. I got really excited and I saw her and I was happy. But that's, that's why today, when I know somebody has a pet, they're like, oh, I have a dog. And I'm like, your dog's gonna love me. I don't know, my dog doesn't love me. I'm like, your dog is gonna love me. I, I know it. I feel it, I sense it. And it's bizarre. I'm one of these people where people go, this is crazy. He doesn't, he doesn't take to anybody. Like, he's really taking, the dogs love me. Cats love me as much as a cat can love you. I don't think they get along. It's, it's this weird kind of, I just know, you know, I've become a pet person. I walk down the street. I see these, these dogs. My whole neighborhood is really big on dogs. I see them and I become one of those people that stops and I look at the dog and I'm like, oh my God, he's so cute. Even if the dog isn't really that cute, they're all cute, you know? And that's a new thing for me. And that's something that I'm realizing now that I have this like this pet affinity and that pet affinity is born from a real traumatic event of losing both my cats of over 15 years within, you know, a year of each other gone. Don't have them anymore, you know, and don't get me wrong. I don't like taking care of pets. I, it was a real pain in the butt. I was taking care of tipsy and cleaning and scooping all on my own. So that stuff I'm not really you know, missing. But when I found out like that, I wasn't allowed to have pets here. I wasn't really broken up. I wasn't planning on getting another cat or anything like that, but I do, I don't miss cats. I miss my cats. And because of that, I've now have this love of other people's pets. And that's born from damage. That's born from being broken. So just because you're broken, just because you're damaged doesn't mean that necessarily bad things spring out of that. Sometimes they're good. And in that case, it is. So a lot of my life that people think are positive parts of, a lot of my life that people think are positive parts, all are born from less than positive influences. And that's what it is, man. You, you have to... Take the negatives and find out what the lesson was in them. There's a lesson in everything. Everything you've gone through is a lesson. Every, every painful moment is a lesson. Everything you survive. When they say it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. It's true. It's true because you take that and you wear it like a badge and you move forward and you go, what did I learn from this? How can this make me a better person? Every single thing you experience can make you a better person. Everything. You just have to let it. And that's what I try to do. And hopefully you do too. So if you like my blog, if you read the blog, if you if you related to that, good for you. You're you're on the road. So um this is I think that's a theme today of the podcast. There's a lot of relatable things, man. Me and you, we're together. You know, we I'm doing the eye thing, two fingers in the eye, two fingers to your eyes, that kind of a thing, back and forth. Me and you. You're in my head, I'm in your head. 
and we're awesome. We're little Fonzies. Guys, that does it for me. I want to thank you once again for listening. Do me a favor. If you got this on one of the streaming services, like, subscribe, all that stuff, could really use it. Always can use the support. Please retweet and, and share and tell your friends and tell your neighbors, hide your kids, hide your wife, all that stuff. Spread the word about High Blog I'm Dad, about High Pod I'm Dad. I got a lot of exciting things coming up, really exciting things coming up. I'm ready to share them with you guys. We're ready to take this thing to another level. Every once in a while, I get kind of this bug light a fire up under my feet, as they say, and I'm ready to keep transcending things. So it's exciting. I want you guys on this journey with me. Do everything you can. Let everybody know about it. Share your opinions with me. Feel free to drop me a line. I'll even give you my email address. You can write to hi James Gutman, hi James Gutman at gmail.com. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys. If not, you can go to the contact form right there on Hi Blog. I'm Dad. Write me some stuff. Go on Facebook, reply to things, all whatever it is. You can get a hold of me, man. It's 2021. No one's inaccessible. I'm right here. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Until next time, this is James Gutman saying, be well. Bye, pod. I'm Dad.